If you don't have players on the field with the right skills, you're going to have a tough time winning. The same goes for your business. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring MVPs. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. It is 12.42 a.m. on July 30th, the night of the morning after the NBA draft, I should say. Uh, draft's over. Or the, the Detroit Pistons have made all the selections that I foresee that the Detroit Pistons are going to make. They uh, took it all the way down to the wire. We got the 57th overall pick to talk about. Um but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do that in a second. So first, I want to lay out how this is gonna go down. I was on the uncontested, uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, Blue Wire podcast live stream, and so we're gonna take some of that audio. I'm gonna cut it up. That was like a three hour live stream. You're not. I'm not gonna make you listen to all three hours. We're gonna cut that up a little bit, um, and we mainly talked about Cade and some of the other stuff that happened uh, along the first round. Um, then it's like, I'm going to cut myself back in and we're going to talk about the second round picks that the uh, Detroit Pistons made because, uh, we, you know, we didn't really get to those during the live stream because it's 42, you know, 52 and 57 didn't really expect to get there in there. So yeah. So the next voices you'll hear will be, uh, mine and the voices of like Jake and Niffin and Taylor Peterson on the uncontested. Um, thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you in a little bit. Uh, we got more people hopping in the chat here. Our guy, Laz. Cade Cunningham, number one fan. The official What's podcast up, of the Cade Cunningham fan club, <laughs> Laz. How, you guys how, does, how does it feel to have it over? The trade speculation is done, Laz. You don't have to listen to our bullshit about trading up to one anymore. How does it feel? So it feels, it feels amazing, honestly. It's just like, especially like given how the rest of this draft has gone, it's like, oh God, that could have been us. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't. And so we just escaped with the best just prospect. Just a sigh of relief. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, so, so Laz, I, I got to ask because you, you yeah, yeah, go for it. Go ahead, call me. Your, your, Jake Jacobs' questions mean more over there. Jeez, my goodness. <laughs> um, let's say, Laz, let's say you're drafting at six for some reason. How would Detroit fans feel about drafting Josh Giddy? <laughs> He's so fired up about this. <laughs> would you be so, happy about that selection? So after after the Killian Hayes fiasco, I think there would be some very angry fans in the uh, at, at Little Caesars Arena. However, you guys just took Poku last year, and everybody seems to be on board with that experiment with the knowledge that it was going to be a long term project, and so. Maybe maybe there's hope for uh, the Giddy experiment yet. Do do you, is he gonna play point guard? Is is he gonna play small forward? Is Shea the point guard? What happened to, to Teo Maladon? Like, what's going on? What about Kemba? 
It's, I mean, like I know Kemba's getting flipped, but like, yeah, this is is a, is a weird pick. It's a weird pick. I think it matches this thunder. Yeah, this thunder mo now of getting guys that are big, long, uh, can grab the bo- the the ball off the rim, can lead mm-hmm. a fast break, can pass. Uh, Giddy is very Pokuish to me. I feel like. Yeah, great feel, right? Like that's that's the thing they always say about those guys who can who are tall and can pass. They have great feel, but man, uh, how how are you going to stop anybody from scoring if your your guys get shouldered out of the way by anybody over two hundred thirty pounds? This, this is going to be a rough existence. Lou Dort. Oh, that's true. <laughs> can he can he guard four people? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to put that that theory to the test. Laz, I got to ask, because you tweeted about this earlier today. Whenever the pick officially came through, number one, did you yell at your unborn child um, to the uh, the displeasure of your wife? I did. I did. My, my unborn child is 37 weeks, so he can definitely hear me and understand what's <laughs> going on. But he's not out yet. And so uh, he, he responded in kind. I got a little kick. That was nice. There you um, go. It, and, and the wife was not super pleased because she didn't really <laughs> fully understand what was happening. So, Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So, I mean, we, we knew it was going to be Cade, right? Did you ever buy into any of the, oh, they could take Jalen Green? Oh, they could trade down to two. Do you think that any of that stuff was ever like legitimately there? Oh, wow. Josh Primo Josh going Primo 12. at 12. 12? Moses, Moses oh Moody goodness. is sinking, bro. Moses Moody is sinking. That's crazy. Primo at tw- that feels like a reach. That's Hell a reach. huge reach. Wow. Wait, like I mean, like I have to let I have to check the board because like I don't even know who's left because things have not exactly well, like, gone according Moody to plan. And but... Shangun and um, gosh, I, 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 I don't, Johnson, I don't, I don't, yeah. love, I don't love Shangun. I'm uh, yeah, it, it's a very weird NBA existence. That, it's for totally going to be who the Thunder take at sixteen. I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Primo at and, twelve. Yeah, that's wild. And I feel like this next pick now. We've got Indiana on the clock now. This is where trade. Yeah, out. Indiana who and, traded who traded into the first second round pick, presumably yeah. for a reason, right? So true. Could totally be baking this pick for somebody else. This feels Very like true. the last spot where the Thunder can trade up, because after this, at pick number fourteen, trading sixteen and eighteen for fourteen is just an overpay. Right. I feel like thirteen is the last spot where you can really like justify that. Very true. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. And but to answer your question before the the primo thing, um, yep. it was it, the all the kind of the the trade noise and everything was uh was interesting definitely to to go through once once I learned that. Uh, last year, the Pistons actually had Wiseman at number one on their board. That that definitely like caused me to like reevaluate like what the the team's priorities were were going to be like moving forward. Um, like it, it's a callback to Troy Weaver saying like he loves centers and he loves big men. And so you you could imagine a world in which right like they uh, they get a, a if their standards were a little bit lower and they got uh, an offer that they liked, they'd be willing yep. to trade down to like two or three and take Evan Mobley. Mobley. Right, and I, I, I think Mobley's going to be a really great player in this league. Chris Duarte at thirteen for Indiana. Sorry, Les. Oh no! <laughs> wow! Wow! Come Does on, Moses Moody, Moody just suck. Come I mean, on, Moody. Moody. I mean, like if he ends up with you guys, that'll be pretty good, actually. But like he can't, awesome. he can't jump. That's kind of a problem. 
Yeah, that that's fair. He's not extremely explosive. Yeah. <laughs> the Thunder have been drafting guys that aren't super explosive, though. Shea's not explosive. Yep. I mean, that wasn't a draft pick, obviously. Poku's mm. not really explosive. Giddy's not explosive. Wow. What does what does Primo like do? Yeah. Well, hey, great question because Nick Crane is joining the chat who talked to Nick uh not Nick Primo. Josh Primo. Josh Primo. Uh literally what three days ago, four days ago, Nick? Yeah, like two days ago. Two days ago. Hey, I, I also appreciate that you don't you're not in your library anymore. Thank you. Well, and I'm I'm a white sheet serial killer. <laughs> Making references to white sheets and serial killers is not a good combination in the American South, Nick. Go ahead and tell us about Josh Primo, please. Josh Primo is... Sorry, Laz. Just like one of... Say what? I think I killed Laz. Just go, just go ahead. Just go ahead and talk about Primo. Keep going. Just keep going, bro. Just uh, keep going. No, it's just one of the, one of the, the smartest young prospects that, that I've talked to. Um he just knows his role. Like you, you think about a lot of these rookies that come in and they think they have to score 20, 30 points a game to be effective. And Primo just seems like the kind of guy he had the role at Alabama where he only shot six times a game and is still picked in the, in the lottery. So I think it says a lot about him as a, as a prospect and what he could bring to a team. I'm just curious about all these guys that are available. Um, which one of these guys is the Donovan Mitchell? Which one of these guys in the, in the teens is going to be the Devin Booker? Which one of these guys is going to be yep. uh, kind of like, you know, on the edge of the lotto, who's going to be a guy that really turns a franchise around or is a franchise star player. So I'm very curious to see what that is. Cause I mentioned you Nick earlier that you, you thought that uh, Josh Giddy, although you weren't, too privy about selecting him as six you thought he did have star potential um so that's what i mentioned so you might speak to that a little bit more yeah no i i I do think him at six is a bit of a stretch like you alluded to but um i mean six seven point guards that can play at the professional level you know triple double pass rebound like those guys don't grow on trees and so obviously Cade Cunningham was the the six seven six eight point guard that everybody wanted, but I guess uh, I guess Giddy is second best option there. I think that him next to Shea is perfect. I, I don't know if I don't know if you could have gotten him at nine or ten trading back, but nonetheless I do like the fit. So does this mean that we're we're kind of exclusively limiting Shea to to two guard status now? Like he's no longer a point guard. We're we're just kind of uh, letting him operate out of isolations and uh, off of handoffs like he likes to and not necessarily worrying about him playmaking for others. I think with, with what Mark Dignall's trying to put together here in Oklahoma city is like literally just positionless basketball. I think you see that with Poku getting taken last year. I think you see that with Giddy with SGA. He's played point guard through small forward in the past couple of years, maybe outside of whoever the center of the future is in Oklahoma city. I think I think Dagnall sees one through four is just fluid. Doesn't matter how big you are, small you are. If you can play multiple positions, you're going to fit in a system. Detroit Pistons, Cade Cunningham. How cool is that? Oh, man. Just kind of <laughs> hit me. I can just casually drop Cade into relevant conversations now because he's a Piston. <laughs> That's right. He's a Piston. Oh man, are you recording a podcast tonight, or do you already record? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to chop this up and. Uh, oh yeah, yeah I'm going to cool. send him. I'm oh, going to send him some audio. Even yeah. better. 
I like, yeah, well, then let's but... talk some Kate Cunningham. That, well, I, mean, I kind of have a little bit, but in terms of like fit, like talk to me about him next to Killian, um, I, with, like with Stewart. Like, what are you thinking in terms of his fit with the team? Not that it really matters. So you just, at that point, you just take the best player. He, he breaks Cade. the, yeah, he breaks the rule, right? right. You now fit around Cade. You, exactly. Well, I mean, like, I think he, I think he already did, right? Like, I think, uh, I, I think he is a point guard. Yeah. But like, uh, he's more of a primary initiator than a point guard, right? He's more of yeah. a guy you like put the ball in his hands and like tell him to score and play make than like a dribble the ball up the court, like initiate the offense exactly. type That's of guy. Like, oh, that was something that I really noticed. Like when I was watching OK State games, is that they took the ball out of his hands uh, yeah. more than I expected on occasion. But Especially like for that team to your yeah point, like, level around him to take yeah. the ball off his hands really says something. But. And he, but he always did it willingly, right? Like he was willing to let other guys on the team uh, try and do their thing in order to to get where they needed to go. And but like when they absolutely needed him, like he was there. He was making all the plays. He was scoring all the baskets. He was like right. delivering delivering passes to guys who were open. So it's just like he's he's just a, he's just a basketball chameleon, right? Like he fits into every uh, developmental situation you can imagine. Oh, so oh sorry, not to interrupt no, you. No, go, okay, the 16th pick to oh. Houston to the Rockets. Wow. Her wait, is just more just Her more what? OKC yeah. Houston trades. Wow. This okay. is interesting though because like OKC and Houston have trade history. Mm-hmm. But with a former GM. Right. Mm-hmm. Right with Maury. Huh, well, there's your consolidation. I wonder, like you guys said, what did Presty get back? <laughs> huh. What what does Houston have that you guys would be interested exactly. in? Exactly. That's Kevin what I was Porter gonna Jr., ask. Baby. Oh, I mean, I did is, I, is I this did. is is it I'm gonna make a prediction here. Rockets taking Rockets taking Shangoon. Oh is Ooh. this to remove protections off future Rockets picks for the Thunder? <sighs> Oh. oh, maybe. That'd be Could that be the type of consolidation they went for? Oh, man, that'd be fantastic. Because <laughs> the Rockets owe the Thunder two future picks, top four protected, and a future swap, top 10 protected. Could this trade remove some protections? Wow, that'd be... Uh, huh. Yeah. Now, Shingun's an interesting pick for Houston with Christian Wood, and I don't know. That, uh, that yeah, really surprises me. Yeah, I was just thinking that, right? Like Sangoon is like mostly like a, a post up player, yeah. Right? right. And with with Wall and KPJ and Jalen Green and Christian Wood, they're going to want to play fast. It's like he right. really just he's like, not a fast player. That's a great point. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. That for, is interesting. To me at least, yeah. Huh. That is weird. Now I'm just curious to get the details. Yeah, I don't know what the Thunder would be getting from Houston besides removal of those picks. Oh, I mean, like maybe it's a maybe it's a player, right? Like maybe it's like a, a Jay Sean Tate or something like that. Yeah, right? no, that's mm. that's old. <laughs> I'd like Jay Sean Tate and Lou Dort <laughs> just wrecking people's perimeter. That's Spider Man mm-hmm. pointing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well that's interesting. Um, I get yeah. Wow, I'm so anxious. I want to hear what's it I know, for. What is it for? Don't leave me hanging out, man. Come on, Woj. Well, I guess in the meantime. Um, I'll, I'll, one thing I was going to say about Caden <laughs> in, uh, in Detroit, um, somebody, I'm going to butcher who it was I'm trying to remember. Um, I want to say it was somebody from the athletic, but basically talked about one of Cade's best skills being, um, having the ability to just like, kind of like Chris Paul. We talked about this when he was in OKC, he'd play, you know, 
as he plays for three quarters or whatever. And in the fourth quarter, he just would take over. He was so incredible in the clutch because he spent those first three quarters just analyzing uh, what the, the defense was giving him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said something similar about Cade. Like the first few, 15 minutes of the game, he's going to see what the team needs most. Then he's going to go out and do that thing. If it's passing that night, he, he'll do it. It says creating for others, he'll do it. If it's scoring, he'll do it. He's able to break the game down at such a high level. And uh, that's what really excites me, I think, when you have high IQ players around them, like Weaver has and Killian Hayes and Stewart, some of that youth, combined with obviously Jeremy Grant. I mean, it's, Pistons are going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm I'm in total agreement. The the one thing I am a little worried about is that they don't have enough like shooting on the roster right now to surround like Kate and Killian. Killian yeah, wasn't a great a good point. Killian wasn't a great shooter last year, right? He was better off ball than on ball, but still like you don't necessarily want uh Killian spacing the floor for Cade. You kind of want the opposite. But uh so I, I was hoping that they come out of this draft with at least like one more like guy who can like really can knock down shoot the shots. Ball. Yeah. I like that. That's a yeah, I'm with yeah. you. There's some stuff that has to happen. I'm fascinated to see, first of all, how the rest of this draft plays out because the Thunder still have picks 34, 36, right? And 55. Um, there's going to be cons- some consolidation there, but I think there's also another player at this point that Presley's probably going to end up with. But there's going to have to be some trades here um, in between the draft and the start of the season. I'm very fascinated to see what those are. No, absolutely. I mean... I do, I mean, like, the, they, they utilized the OKC Blue, like, fairly yep. well, like, in, right. over the last couple of years. And so I'm less worried about, like, a roster crunch, per se. Um, but, like, it, this is, like, for, for two, three years down the line, right, it's, it's going to be it's gonna be tough to fill out, like, a playoff, like, eight-man rotation. Or it's going to be tough to know who's going to be in that core, like, eight-man rotation, like, moving forward. When eventually, hopefully, you, you do get good because you can't you can't do this right. forever, right? Exactly, so, right. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that is interesting. Seeing how the Thunder approach tonight is, we've talked so much about their future assets, and it felt like tonight could be the first time you start to see them consolidate, and they didn't. Right. They they added more future draft picks. They didn't consolidate draft picks to move up. And they're going to bring in multiple players and they have more draft picks down the line. And at some point, you just wonder when that moment is. Like, at what point does that right. that needle start to turn and you start to become, okay, we're starting to build a winning roster instead of just stockpiling assets to eventually build a winning roster? Yeah. Well, let me, get, let me ask you guys, though. Like, what, what kind of star player would you like to put next to Shea? Right. Like if if uh, uh, like we're operating under the assumption that like Shea is part of the next iteration of this team, that's any good. Like right. what is the what is the type of complimentary player next to him that you wanted to see that you'd want to see? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I have a thought. I think there it's a I think it's an athletic small forward who has ball handling abilities, um, but somebody who can work it with Shea in the pick and roll. Um, who can shoot, you know, like Kevin Durant or something like that. Somebody like that. <laughs> You're describing Michael Porter Jr. Oh, hello. No, but really, like, I think somebody somebody that can work with them in the pick and roll and be both a threat to roll and, a t- like, get a lob at the basket or to, to pop it. I think Shea's so good in pick and roll that somebody that can compliment him there and 
kind of make his pick and roll game even more lethal, I think it gets me really excited. I keep thinking of another combo guard, but maybe a little more of a score. Um, not that Shea, well, shit, not that Shea is. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think pairing Shea with another player very similar to himself, which if we're being completely honest, could potentially be Josh Giddy, although he's more of a wing. Um, I, but a, a versatile player who's able to score at all three levels, um, crafty, but can create for others. Another combo guard like that is, is somebody I have in mind. I mean, obviously, Cade Cunningham, you think of Cade next to Shea, and I think that's like, that's perfect. And the reason I, I, I say that, and we've talked some about this on the podcast. Like, yeah, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't mean to like twist the knife in you a little Yeah, yeah bit. that's right. <laughs> Who would you guys want? Would it, would it be Cade, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, I knew what you meant. Um, I'm just using that as an example because it's an easy example to make. Um, but I think somebody like that would be perfect. The reason we say that is like we saw how well not only the three-guard lineup did, um, NOKC during the Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, SGA season, um, SGA's first season with the Thunder, but also how well Chris and Shea played together. Um, now, I'm not saying <laughs> go draft the next Chris Paul necessarily, but I think another playmaker, um, again, another guard who can score at all three levels would just be perfect next to Shea. Again, versatility, it's going to be the name of the game of Thunder 2.0. Okay. Okay. I I was kind of curious if you were thinking more like Phoenix Suns backcourt, right? Like the yeah. guard doubleheaded. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. Guard backcourt, or if you were thinking something uh, like closer to like Steph and Clay, maybe. Yeah, or closer to like Shea is definitely not like Steph or Clay, right? Like he's more right. of a shot creator, but thinking like the more classic like pick and roll partner, right? Like 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 Shea and AD, right? Like and and yes. AD type. So that's right. something just, or sorry, Jacob, we have a lot of J's. <laughs> that's something Jacob's talked a lot about this past season, finding that pick and roll partner, that lob threat for Shea to have. I mean, Shea could take advantage of that and, oh, that'd be lethal, which is why I'm kind of, I mean, I get it. You, you, there weren't really that many options of that kind of player in this draft outside of maybe Kai Jones, who's super underdeveloped, but I don't know. It, it, that's what's so fascinating about what Thunder going to do with this upcoming uh or, or, you know, trying to find a center um, for this upcoming season. Good. Yeah, my, my thought on pairing somebody with Shea is it doesn't really matter who it is. I mean, we've watched Shea play one, two, and three on this team. You want him off ball? Cool. You want him on ball, diving to the to the hoop, breaking people down off the dribble? Or you can do that too. You want him spotting up and shooting threes? You want him taking step back threes? You want him playmaking for others? He can do a little bit of all of it. I think the versatility of Shea is maybe one of his best strengths because you can do whatever you want with him. Yep. Like it, you're not, it's, it's not like he's a, a don't take this the wrong way, but he's not like a Damian Lillard where he's like very specifically pigeonholed into one spot. Like Dame can't really guard twos that well. Mm-hmm. Dame sure as hell can't guard threes. He's mm-hmm. only playing the one on offense. And Shea is just so versatile that it makes roster building so much easier because yeah. of the flexibility okay. you can operate with with him. To that point, Laz, if you had to say what position Shea Gilles Alexander started at or played the majority of his minutes at with OKC this past season, what position would you say? This past season. This past season. It was two guard, right? It was small forward. 
Really? Now that's based off basketball reference. Jacob and I did uh, our second annual um, Thunder player rankings at each position. And yes, I don't get it wrong. Shea was the lead ball handler. Um, he played point guard. He, he led, led the offense, but they listed him at small forward in the starting lineups. Um, and, and when he was in some of those lineups, they, they listed him at small forward, which is interesting. I think just speaks to that versatility that Jacob was talking about. I guess, I guess it makes sense when I think about the roster or what, like what the lineups like must've been, right? Like it was like Teo, Dort and Shea, right. Or something like that. Like in, in that case, like, yeah, I can yep. see where, uh, like you, you can flip flop both of those guys between, uh, between the two, three spots. But yeah, that's, that is really interesting to think about. Like yep. I was think I was thinking about this question, right? Because like after it's like, I like, I love you guys. I did not watch a whole bunch of Thunder games, <laughs> which is year. very fair. Yeah. Very fair. <laughs> and so I was so like when the Shea and uh, six for one trade like came up, I was like, well, let me, yep. let me go investigate, like, and see what like Shea has been like up to. Cause I know he's been, I know the production has been up. Right. right? But I don't necessarily know it's like what's thing that. To dive in the film. Absolutely. Right. That makes sense. Right. And it, it really surprised me how, um, like, how much of a scoring load he was just carrying, and uh, how how easily he was getting the basket, and and the pull up shooting. I think was the main thing that, like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was that was a crazy thing to just kind of see. And um, L- let me give film. you let me give you a stat real quick, Laz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shea shot nearly forty two percent from three this year on about five attempts a game. Okay. 70% of of all the threes he took, not not the ones he made, every single three he took, 70% of them off the dribble, unassisted. Um, and then less than 5% from the corners. So yeah, right. th- as far as the shot creation and the pull-up, that was his game. Like he did not have somebody like a Chris Paul driving and kicking to him and him getting open corner threes. They were all come off the pick and roll. Someone goes under, I pull up. Come off the, the highest, roll, the highest ISO percentage player back. in the league. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of like Kate Cunningham in Oklahoma State. <laughs> no, that, that that is exactly the conclusion I reached. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, yep. Cade's like two inches taller and thirty pounds heavier, but it's like they they looked like very similar types of players. Absolutely. And I think and I think those two inches and thirty pounds like matter absolutely one hundred percent. But like there there are going to be guys that like Kate can get a shot over that. Um, there's, there's going to be like you can you can defend. Jay has to work for his shot more. I mean that's why we seen we've seen him incorporate those step backs, uh, yeah. particularly this past season. Where yes, Kate has a step back. It looks more like a Lucas step back, which is amazing. But you're right, he's going to be at that high release point, and also those couple extra inches are going to help him there a lot. Be, being able to shoot over other defenders, especially if he's the best player on the team, you know, the majority of his career, maybe his entire career. You're going to have the best defender of the other team on you. It's yep. most likely going to be a forward kind of player guarding you. So that you're right that that um that length that reach matters. Yeah, absolutely, and that's part of the reason why I'm excited that like that Cade can like play off the ball because like I feel like it's easier to get good looks uh, when you don't have the ball in your hands all the time. Like this this is the Steph Curry thing, right? Like they run Steph Curry through the through the maze and he gets open threes. And like people say, like oh, like only Steph can make those shots, which is true. But like other guys don't always put in the effort that Steph does to 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 make themselves available for those type of shots. True, um, very and true. I feel like if you have if you have it like this, now I'm going back to the Pistons, right? You have a guy like Killian Hayes who's a threat to to operate in the pick and roll. You have uh, you surround that guy with you know 
Sadiq Bay in the corner, you know, Jeremy Grant on the opposite wing, like just enough spacing to like make teams like think. And all of a sudden you're passing the ball to Cade or yeah, you're passing the ball to Cade um, as like a second side thing with like a little bit of advantage. And he can just go. Right. And like that, right. like that's really intriguing to me as, as a way to get Cade some buckets that he like doesn't have to dribble the ball for 20 seconds against the other team's best player or best like perimeter defender in order to get. I, you know what, it, when you were saying that last, like we haven't really talked about Killian Hayes that much. I really think Hayes is going to be great for Killian. Uh, not, I, I already thought that Killian was going to have a better season this coming season, obviously coming off injury and all of that. Um, I'm still pretty high on Killian, but I think him alongside Cade, like Cade's the type of player who's going to really, I think, help and benefit, um, you know, playing alongside a player like Killian. I really, really like that fit. Yeah, me, me too. Me too. I'm like, um, I, I know, Killian really struggled, right? I, like, it's right. really obvious to look at, like, an, even in the box score. But, like, the, the flashes of, like, the spectacular stuff that you saw from Killian was, like, made you think that, like, with a full offseason, with, like, a, a real offseason, not, like, you know, training by yourself in Florida exactly. for eight months during a global exactly. pandemic. It's, like, with, you know, with a more structured offseason and with the team, with an actual summer league, right? Like, you, you can you can go into next season um, with something, like, a little bit more resembling, like, an NBA base. and Exactly. I think like, I'm I'm really really curious to see how this plays out in summer league because like summer league like you can't take you know everything from summer league right like uh, who's like Michael Beasley had like the most amazing summer league we'd ever seen in our lives right yes. and like look look how that ended up but at the same time like I want to see how those two guys play together right like I want to see if it's like a I want to see if it's like a Russell Westbrook or I want to see if it's like a Chris Paul James Harden thing where it's just like it's your turn, my turn, but like it works, right? Like I bring the ball up, now you bring the ball up. Now I bring the ball up, you know you bring the ball up. And like we're both like operating out of pick and rolls or both operating out of isolations, but like we're not necessarily like getting each other like super involved on offense. But Or I want to see if it's more like a more symbiotic relationship, right? I want to see if they're – both of those guys are like using their amazing passing ability to to get guys open, to get each other open. I remember there's a play against Sacramento – where uh and like Sacramento is not the the greatest defense in the world but uh <laughs> but, but Killian Killian set like a a, a back screen like a, a a sudden back screen for I think it was Corey Joseph um on Harrison Barnes um and they swing the ball uh, on the opposite on the weak side right like on the opposite side of where the ball is at they swing the ball to Corey Joseph Killian's like because Killian's setting like an uh, a flare screen like the Sacramento's defense is just like wait like guards can set screens like you're not allowed to do that and like Corey joseph like walks in for a layup and it's just like you you see the basketball uh like feel that killian has and you place like another like high feel shot creator guy in Cade like next to him and you're just gonna like random stuff like that's gonna happen like all the time right like Cade's gonna like kid's gonna post up in transition and killian's just gonna like feed him the ball and he's gonna like lay the ball in because he's being being guarded by like a 6'4 dude and he's 6'8 Right, like just the the like weird basketball moments we're gonna get between those two guys are like what I'm really looking forward to, and I hope they get the chance to play together a lot, or as much as they can like stand in, in Vegas summer league. There's definitely some tangibles to take um, 
from summer league, especially for teams like Detroit and OKC, right? Like we're going to be looking at guys, some of these, these young guys who were expecting to take leaps this off season, um, such as your Teos. I mean, Poku, we're hoping he's going to be playing in the summer league mm-hmm. um, guys like that. Like, you know, there's a lot of things we're going to be looking for there as well. Also love the point you made Laz, about um, at having a full NBA or honestly not still not a full quote unquote off season in NBA terms, but much more normal off season compared to the, the past two years that we've seen. Um, you know, that's something we talked about. You know, you asked us about Baisley and our feelings on Baisley earlier. One reason we, we, we do still kind of have the, the disclaimer that, you know, Baisley, what an unconventional route this guy took from, uh, you know, playing high school basketball, deciding not to go to college, doing the new balance internship and training with Mike Miller comes into the league um, he has his rookie season that's that ends in March because of the pandemic. He basically has a three month NBA offseason between that goes to the NBA bubble where he's basically he's still a rookie technically. But right, like he's had three months between that plays mm-hmm. in this bubble and then has a shortened offseason. And now he you know is playing year two in the NBA. Um, and it's not just Baisley. I mean, it's all these players, I think. So, it, yeah, that's that's a great point about killing it as well. Um it's going to be fascinating to see like, players from that draft class, which ones really kind of stand out this coming season, which ones have really taken a bigger leap after getting a more conventional off season. And Killian might be one of those guys. Basley might be one of those guys. No, yeah, I, I think you'll probably see it across that whole draft class. Yeah. Like true. I'm like, really oh. curious to see how they do in summer league. I'm curious to see how they do, you know, into next season. Like what does it look like for these guys to get a little bit of a, a sense of normalcy that they, haven't had like making the transition to the NBA is hard enough, let alone right. doing it through these circumstances that they've had to go through. I think it makes it a little tough to even evaluate guys from that draft class because they've they've faced circumstances that nobody else really has. Okay. Hey, so we're back. Uh we're gonna talk about the second round guys now. Uh the Pistons took Isaiah Livers with the forty second overall pick. I liked this pick. Um, livers, you many of you listening to this podcast are familiar with the stylings of Isaiah Livers because he played at the University of Michigan. Um, a guy who uh, is really known as a, a shooter, a knockdown shooter. Um, if you've listened to me talk about uh, the Pistons on this podcast or other podcasts, you know that the, the an element of shooting is something that, like, I think the Pistons have been missing for quite some time. Um, and if like I'm tripping over my words and stuff, forgive me. It's twelve fifty in the morning. We're recording this live, uh, so yeah, but that's that's just what we're doing. But yeah, he can shoot. Livers can shoot. That's important. The Pistons needed a dude who could shoot, and so I think that there's like a non-trivial chance that like Livers actually sees rotation minutes for this Pistons team this year. Um, yeah. That, uh, that's the thing that matters the most, honestly, is that the Pistons found somebody who can fill uh, that particular role. And, like, yeah, the, the roster across other guys was like, hey, um, you know, Frank Jackson can shoot. Obviously, Sadiq Bay can shoot. Obviously, Cade Cunningham can shoot. Um, but we, we want – you need, like, more – you need more role players like Sadiq. You need more guys who the Cade Cunninghams and the Killian Hayes and the Jeremy Grants are going to play off of. And that seems to be like what Isaiah Livers, the the type of player that Isaiah Livers is going to be um, in the NBA with, with the upside for more, right? Um, You know, prior to the injury, I think that there was a thought that uh, Livers had, you know, a shot to be, have a little bit more 
on-ball creation. Um, I think that's kind of out the window now, but I don't like they should still try and develop that aspect of his game. Obviously, I just don't know if it'll ever get there um, with regards to like how he'll be able to do that against uh, against like NBA defenses. But I like this pick. This is a very solid pick by Troy Weaver. Um, fills a need. Um, a guy people are familiar with. Uh, good skill set. I was like, yeah, this is, this is a solid pick. Uh, the the other picks. Oh my goodness, uh, the Pistons uh, executed in the second round tonight. Luca Garza. So Luca Garza was uh, a center from Iowa, obviously. Uh, like big whole super list of accomplishments, right? Like Big Ten Player of the Year, Naismith finalist, and stuff. Just like just a, a very decorated uh, college player however like real concerns about how that's going to translate uh to the nba um 611 center can shoot the ball it's like okay so the thing that people are worried about translating is not the offense it's the defense offensively he can shoot the ball he's got a zillion different like post-up moves and it's like yes although that like people don't utilize post-ups anymore uh, is like because he's so good at it, you figure he's not going to be like a starting level center be, again because of the defense, but like he can get away with executing those type of post moves against like backup lineups and like stealing you a couple buckets that way, and that's useful, right? Like that's the that's how like Ennis Cantor is still in, in this league, right? Is being able to make a living, uh, crashing the offensive glass and killing people in the post for bench lineups during the regular season. Um, and, like, Anis Cantor doesn't shoot threes. And if Anis Cantor, like, could shoot threes, like, he'd be a much more uh, interesting NBA player. Luka Garza can shoot threes, so that does make him interesting. Um, uh, lots of people were telling me about Garza's, like, pick-and-pop ability. That will be something that warrants mentioning, or, like, warrants keeping a look at. I wonder how he'll... Uh, how he handle the like the extra step back from the college line uh, to the NBA line? That's not an adjustment that like happens. Uh, you you don't want to take that adjustment for granted, right? Like we saw that adjustment from Isaiah Stewart last year relatively quickly. You don't want to just assume that the the, the exact same thing will happen from uh, Luca Garza. But like you, you understand like with with the rapid development of Isaiah Stewart, you understand like why they feel pretty confident that like they can also get Garza to shoot threes, and so like yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about those two guys, those two guys in comparison to one another, right? Not necessarily like obviously Garza, much more decorated player, and obviously I think Stewart is like a little bit is is more athletic and with better foot speed, able to be better defensively, but like this is this is the second. Um, non-jumping, offensively skilled, like burly, tall, not like extreme shot blocker, but still contests a lot of shots around the rim center that the Troy Weaver has uh, has drafted, right? I know I if you've uh, listened to me in the past, you know I've been after the jumpy jump guys. Um, th- this is another center who is not necessarily a jumpy jump guy, right? And so. And two is a pattern, right? Like maybe this is something that we're learning about Troy Weaver, which is maybe uh, like he doesn't necessarily like the centers who mainly like rim run and are lob threats 
and and that's their like primary function on offense. He wants like a little bit more versatility uh, out of his centers, which is understandable, right? Um, Garza, yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I I think there's a world in which he works. Okay, wait, actually no, go back. See, yes, yeah, this is this is again this is me at one o'clock in the morning. So we're we're going at this point, and uh, I didn't want to like drink any coffee or anything, but like here we are. Um, the defense. So Garza is supremely skilled in small areas on def- on offense, right? Like the, the footwork is great. The uh, setting up like his post up moves. That's he does a great job of that. Um, but like in in the NBA on defense, you need to be able to like slide laterally and cover a lot of ground uh, laterally. Garza does not do an amazing job of that. This was apparent even at the college level that you could give Iowa trouble by like pulling Garza away from the basket and uh, asking him and asking like the the defense to to adjust from there. Um this is a this is of course a problem for a lot of centers, right? Like you know, you want to go to the highest level of NBA center like this is something that people make fun of Rudy Gobert for not being able to do, right? So this is not um not that is not to compare Luca Garza to Rudy Gobert because that like that's not a thing, but that is to say just like this is a thing that like a lot of big men struggle with, and so it's not you know insane to think that like Luca Garza could also like be successful while struggling with this. With that said, right, like uh, again to use the the Ennis Cantor example, like Ennis Cantor has stayed in the league because of his offense, but he's never been. Um, well, he had like one stretch in Portland where he was a like semi-effective uh, defensive big in a specific coverage drop coverage, and uh, aside from that, and like that was like with really good personnel around him, and like aside from that, and his canter has been like a huge defensive negative for his entire career, right? Um, and that's been part of the reason why. He's bounced around a lot of places despite being as good as he is offensively. I fear the same sort of uh, use case future career for Luca Garza, where he's uh, good enough offensively to stay in the NBA, not good enough defensively to uh, stick and be part of a winning team, be part of a playoff rotation, for example. And so, like that, um, that presents problems in, in the long term. If you want this Pistons team to, you know, be in the playoffs eventually, it doesn't really seem like Luca Garza is going to be uh, in the rotation when they do that because uh, because of the problems he's going to pose on defense. I mean, like that, that said, though, like this is this isn't like a this is not the pick I would have made, but that does not make it a terrible pick. Um, Garza, I think, is a really it's a really interesting player. It's obviously had it's like you, you can't be as successful as he was in college and be like a quote unquote like bad player. And so for Garza, it's just going to be a matter of either uh, you know getting better in space defensively, right? Like maybe there's like some hip exercises he can do to to move better laterally. Maybe there's some uh, like some untapped strength and conditioning stuff the Pistons can get him to be, you know. Not a huge, huge negative, only like a minor negative defensively on that end of the of the floor, and then uh, and then the offense like kind of takes for care of itself. Um, 
but like that's a that's a probable high end outcome for Garza as he figures it out defensively. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think that I'm not I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, like Garza's on the team in three years, like that just point blank period. Um, but I think there's a chance it works right after. I mean, like he's going to get an opportunity right like after the Mason Plumley trade, which. I, I guess we should talk about probably actually um, after the Mason Plumley trade earlier on draft night, like the Pistons only have Isaiah Stewart, Angelio Okafor um, on the roster as centers before, uh, you know, drafting Garza and, and the other guy. So um, it's like he's he, Garza's going to get an opportunity to like play minutes on this Pistons team. I, I would assume. Right. Um, people were, People on Twitter were saying stuff like, "Oh, he's gonna stay with the crews the uh, the whole year." Like, I, guys, he's he's 22 years old, and like the backup center for the Pistons is currently Julio Okafor. Like, Garza's probably gonna play. I mean, like, I, I wouldn't expect him to be amazing, but I probably would expect him to uh, to play. I mean, like, we'll see how he looks in in summer league. But uh, but yeah, if you're giving me a choice between Luca Garza and Julio Okafor, like, at least I know. Uh, at least I know what like Julio Okafor is on uh, on defense, and I would like to see like what Luca Garza could or couldn't do uh, defensively. Also, like man, think think about those bigs, right? Isaiah Stewart, Luca Garza, Julio Okafor, just like bunch of ground bound dudes who uh, like a bunch of dudes who don't necessarily wow you with with athleticism, but are strong and uh, crafty in the in the post. Yeah. Yeah, Jaleel Okafor, not a Jaleel Okafor, not a um unreasonable low end outcome for Luca Carza. Well, I mean, with the shooting, well, the, the shooting obviously is like the thing that probably helps elevate Garza like above an Okafor. But like, yeah, you but you you get what I'm trying to say, right? Like Jaleel has kind of been uh, unfortunate on defense, um, but like will get you eight points in four minutes if you throw him the ball enough. I think Garza could probably do something like that. Uh, yeah, it's late. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm like rambling at this point, but yeah, like I, I don't hate the Garza pick. Um, I'm willing after everything that we've been through with Troy Weaver, I'm willing to give Luca Garza. Uh, it's like after everything we've been through with Troy Weaver and like as good as Garza was in college, like I'm willing to give it a shot. I don't think it's going to work, but I'm willing to try. Cause you know, why not? Why not? And then Balsa. Koprivica. I hope I'm saying that last name like uh, C-O-P-R-I-V-I-C-A. Koprivica. Koprivicia? Balsa. We're just going to go with Balsa. Uh, I know literally nothing about this dude. He went to Florida State. I was like, that's what that's what we got on the initial Google. He was outside of San Vicini's uh, top 100, which lets you know that like I am not the the only person who doesn't know that much about balsa a couple youtube searches later the thing that i can pretty confidently say so like he's a center he's seven feet tall i don't think he's a stiff right uh he he appeared to he appeared to jump well he not like not amazingly but like fairly well smoothly got off the ground relatively quick um appeared to move well on defense uh not like asking him not he's not bam at a bio out there but he looked more uh capable of handling himself in space than garza for example but like again this is like you know this is five minutes of youtube video so i don't know if this is actually the case or not um 
and he yeah he he looked very much like not not a stiff right um what does that mean for his future on the team like this seems like the dude that's going to be on the cruise right like this seems like the guys like this is the developmental big um maybe the pistons see something in uh in balsa that the the you know the rest of the the scouts can miss but uh yeah i don't I don't have an amazing level of comfort telling you exactly like what's going to be up with this guy uh, next season. So I'm just going to immediately project he's going to play for the cruise and maybe it'll be cool. Maybe it won't. It's the 57th overall pick. I'm not going to get uh, mad about it if it, if it's uh if it's not happening. So yeah, that's uh that's the three picks the Pistons made in the second round. Uh, we, I'm going to I'm going to talk about the Mason Plumlee trade too. So the Pistons traded Mason Plumlee and the 37th overall pick to the Charlotte Hornets for the 57th overall pick. This opened up, uh, what, like $8 million, $8 million roughly, in cap space, created a $8 million uh, trade exception, roughly. Um, and so, like, yeah, the, the Pistons are turning things over to Isaiah Stewart in the front court because he was much, much better than they expected him to be right away, and I think that's a good thing, right? Um at least we like really get to see what Isaiah Stewart has got to offer um, from a starting level position for the Pistons. And like, I'm, uh, I'm comfortable with that. I think it's going to go pretty well. Um, I don't know if Mason Plumlee's contract, Mason's Plumlee's contract wasn't so bad that they like needed to get off it. But I understand the desire to like not have Mason on the roster just so you don't feel pressured to have him play. But yeah, Two years, $16 million worth of Mason Plumlee is not worth, quote-unquote, worth, like, moving down 20 spots in the draft, especially considering some of the names that we saw available at 37 in this, like, kind of funky, admittedly kind of funky NBA draft. Um, But, yeah, like, ultimately, I don't think it's a... I don't think it's that big a deal. I mean, like, this is, this is the same... I find myself, like talking about and thinking about like how what I was saying like after the initial like Troy Weaver purge and it's just like like I don't know what's happening like none of this makes sense and at the end there's like a coherent clear vision of like what the team should look like moving forward and so like when you use Mason Plumlee's deal to move down 20 spots in the draft and draft a guy that like is probably gonna again in Balsa who's probably gonna play on the cruise next year and it's just like yeah, man, maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe Troy Weaver, maybe Troy Weaver's a genius. I mean, like he's, he's a, uh, obviously like a, a basketball, like scouting uh, genius who sees things that other people don't, but it's like, I, I mean, like I'm not going to try and interpret his genius uh, at one Oh six AM in the morning, the, the night after the draft, the, or the morning after the draft. So yeah, not, uh, I, I did think, that the Pistons were going to try and use that cap space to absorb some bad assets to grab another first round pick. That didn't happen, obviously. Like that was a little disappointing. Um, it has been interesting to think about uh, what kind of player might fit into an eight million dollar trade player exception. Um, I'm gonna do some googling right quick and just distract you with the sound of my voice while I look up the salary. For one Marvin Bagley, who is trying to get out of Sacramento, something terribly, and ooh, yeah, okay, he makes way too much money. He does, he makes too much money to fit inside the Mason Plumley traded player exception, and so like that's not a possibility. 
Um, it, uh, uh, Bagley has been raised as a possibility. If you remember, uh, if I remember correctly, the Kings offered Bagley for Sadiq Bay at the deadline and were quickly told no. But I do think, mm, actually, I don't know. Again, like when I, when I go back to think about like the type of centers that Troy Weaver has like brought into Detroit, Bagley doesn't really seem like that type of dude. So like maybe the Pistons are interested in Marvin Bagley, maybe they're not, but that's like the hot name in the streets, these NBA Twitter streets. So I got I got to talk about it. Um, I brought up Zach Collins as another center I would be interested in, um, just because like between <laughs> before all the injuries and all the like weird uh, foot injuries and the inability to, to stay on the court for any real length of time. Like that was, there was a really interesting prospect in the Gonzaga version of Zach Collins. And if you can get that guy healthy, maybe he still got those, that interesting prospect, like somewhere deep within. It was like, yeah. Uh, and because of the injuries, I think he'd be cheap, but now the Pistons have four centers. And so that's probably less likely. And so uh, Zach uh, or Luca Garza will have to do his best Zach Collins impersonation. And so, yeah, that's pretty much all the non Cade stuff that happened on draft night. Again, uh, got the uh, talk to the, the uh, uncontested about Cade Cunningham and about Shea Gilgis Alexander, about some other stuff. Um, and you, you heard that a little bit earlier. So that's great. Um, Thank you for listening to this uh, week's episode of the podcast. I apologize again, kind of rambly, 108 a.m. Um, I'm losing it over here a little bit, but thank you for listening. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. I also host the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. You can find that on the podcast platform that you are listening to this podcast on. This has been Pistons versus Everybody. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you probably before Summer League, after Summer League. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, you, you guys know my, like, life thing, right? Like, my my son, like, may or may not be coming in the next, like, week or two. And so, like, you know, I'm maybe I have time, maybe I don't. But, like, yeah, we'll, with Summer League and everything, like, we will release some podcasts in the future. I, I reassure you. Trust me. Um, but, yeah, I don't know exactly when. Life is a life is a highway. <laughs> okay, I'll talk to you guys later. See ya.